Good morning. Ah, oh, man, I'm ready for a nap. How about you guys? I'll try not to take too long because I know, I know everybody wants to get the hosses like right away. Um, you're probably hungry by now, right? Um, but I, I want to add my, my thanks uh, for the youth this morning for the breakfast, but more importantly than the breakfast, and it, and it was incredible. You guys did a great job. I don't know if you guys know, but we had nine pounds of bacon this year, and I ate the last two pieces because I did not want to have orphan bacon just laying in the pan. Uh, it, would, it would just not be right. But we had, I think, what was it, seven dozen eggs? And I don't know how many hundreds of pancakes you guys did. Um, but it was just, it was a great time. It was a great time of fellowship, just being able to, to see everybody. Um, and I have worked with a lot of youth groups. Um, I used to be a youth leader um, for a lot of years. And I got to tell you, this youth group is incredible. I have never seen a closer group of young people who are not only just happy to be together, but who are happy to serve, serve the Lord, to, to, to do things so that they can go out and, and go on mission trips, so they can go out and do things, so that they can serve us here at the church. It is just a, a phenomenal thing, and, and I appreciate everything that Becky does, uh, everything that Dusty does, and anybody else that works with the youth. Uh, we're working on getting their, uh, their youth room finished, and I was told, Dusty, that... Um, I have to finish the rest of it because they gave me bacon this morning. Um, so I don't know. I don't know about that. But um, again, I just thank you guys. And I'm, I'm told this is, uh, I don't know how many of you go to like Friday night football games. Apparently this is now the student section. So anytime I mess up during the sermon, Emma's going to get up and lead the cheer of? Yeah, there you go. Wow, that was, that was horrible. And Emma's going to get up and she's going to lead the cheer of? <laughs> you can't do that. There you go. That's what we're talking about. All right. Whew, we should have rehearsed that. Um, <clears throat> this morning, we're continuing our sermon series, What to Expect When You're Christianing. And we're going through the book of James in the New Testament. Um, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, so a lot of the things that he is saying... Um, he is saying f uh, from firsthand experience of the things that Jesus taught. And most historians believe that this was the first book of uh, the New Testament that was written. It's the first instruction to Christians uh, that they had actually written down so that they could send it out to the different churches around the world. And, and they did send this letter around to different churches because these Christians had been dispersed all around the world because of severe persecution in Jerusalem and in Judea. Um, and we read in the book of Acts how the church was persecuted, how uh, Saul was coming after people and putting them in prison or killing them for their faith in Jesus Christ. And these folks took off. And one of the things that we have to remind ourselves of, even through this persecution, this was the catalyst. This persecution in Jerusalem and Judea was the motivating factor that allowed the church, that allowed Christians to follow the rest of Jesus' great commandment. Jesus, before he left, told his apostles and his disciples, go 
make disciples, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and the last part of that was to the ends of the earth. And Christians got really comfortable in in Judea and in Jerusalem and in Samaria in that tiny little corner of their world. And God used this persecution. God used Saul to disperse these people so that they could actually share Jesus Christ with the rest of the world. So these are the people that James is writing to. And we have have heard that that these people are living in strange cultures, they're living in strange lands, they're living among people who don't understand faith or don't know who God is, and some of them are facing trials and temptations. Maybe not persecution anymore, but they're facing these trials and temptations to kind of blend in with the rest of the community or the rest of the culture. They're being um, tempted to do things the way the culture does them instead of the way God wants them to do them. And this is the background that James is writing about. He is talking to these people to to help them to understand that our faith needs to be strong and it needs to be accompanied by good works. That's the theme of James's book. And last week we visited that last part of chapter 2. James presented an argument for the need for good works in an active faith. And he said that saying that we believe without actually showing that we believe, actually acting on our faith, is useless. He said faith without works is dead. And this was a topic that he introduced in chapter 1. And he said that religion that is pure and undefiled before God is to do something. Not just to say, I believe. He said, visit the widow and the orphan in their affliction. Keep yourself unstained from the world. And James, if you read chapter 1, everything in the rest of the book, all chapters of James, are kind of summarized. In this kind of, he kind of like gives a sermon outline almost of everything that he's going to talk about. And this morning, we're going to be looking at another topic that James introduced at the beginning of his letter. And this is in James chapter 3, and we're going to be starting in James 3, verse 1. And he said, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And James starts this section of the letter talking about people who would be the leaders of the church. So we didn't have church buildings. Excuse me. We didn't have church buildings like we have now. Back in James's time, everybody met in people's houses. And sometimes they would rotate houses, and then sometimes somebody would kind of take the lead and say, "Um, we can meet at my house every week, and and I'll, I'll teach. I'll teach the things that Jesus taught. And James is saying here that, you know, this is kind of the person in the Jewish faith would be called the rabbi, just like Jesus was called rabbi in uh, John one thirty eight. Jesus turned, saw them following, and said to them, What are you seeking? And they called him rabbi. They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And this is the position that a lot of people are starting to take in the Christian church in James's time. And again, they're meeting in these houses 
And they're kind of, some of them are taking turns, taking the lead, some of them are not. But one of the things that we have to remember, remember James was the first book of the New Testament written. They didn't have Bibles back in, in James's time. They didn't have the Gospels to preach from. The only thing they could preach was from the oral uh, traditions of the stories of the apostles, and then the apostles' disciples. And they were trying to get it right by using those stories, those oral traditions. And James is saying, some of you are getting it wrong. And as the half-brother of Jesus, he would know that maybe they're getting these things wrong. And these teachers, it, and just reading from the book, what it sounds like is that these teachers are teaching that faith without works is fine. And this is why James is writing to them. And these preachers might be looking at their people and saying, I, I know some of you have started having a hard time here. You just moved here. You're living in a strange new land. There's strange new customs. People want you to come and, and do different things that maybe we don't believe in. But it's okay. Because God wants you to live. And God wants you to be happy. And God wants you to be prosperous. So if you have to be quiet about your faith at school or at church or at work, not at church, at work, that, that's okay because you have faith and it's okay to practice your faith at home. Just practice your faith at home. Or when you come to my house, you can, we can practice our faith together. But when you're out in the real world, don't worry about it so much. Don't worry about it when you're in public. And James is warning those who would be teachers that they will be judged with greater strictness for teaching things that Jesus did not teach, did not say. And that holds true today. These church leaders today are called pastors. And pastors are going to be held to a higher standard for the teaching that they teach. And this is, a, this is something, that again, that kind of gets misunderstood. A lot of people think that you know, pastors are, are, have to be sinless. That pastors have to be perfect. And... What James is saying here is your teaching has to be perfect. Yes, we know you're going to sin, and yes, we know God's going to forgive you just like he forgives everybody else, but you're going to be held to a higher standard. You're going to be held to this, um, this higher uh, judgment that maybe you know, one of your congregants isn't going to be held to. And that's, a, that's, a, that's an important thing for pastors and something I take very seriously. And James is warning these people. And he goes on in verse 2 and he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. We all stumble. Raise your hand if you are a perfect man. Raise your hand if you are a perfect woman. Man, I thought I'd see some hands up. Oh, Emma. Thank you, Emma. <laughs> you can't do that. Sorry. I have sad news for you. The pastor of Morning Hour Chapel is not a perfect man. 
His wife is perfect, but don't tell her that. There is no perfect man who has ever existed except two men that have ever lived on earth. The first one was Adam before he sinned. Before Adam sinned, he was a perfect man. He was in perfect relationship with God the Father. And the other one was Jesus Christ, the second Adam. These were the two men that had been perfect. Nobody else on earth has ever been perfect. So the question becomes, well, who can be a teacher? Who can be a pastor? Who can be a Sunday school teacher? Who can be somebody who is sharing God's word with people in, and, and being kind of that authority? And I think James would echo his brother's words, with God, all things are possible. With man, this is impossible. There is not one person on the face of the earth that could be qualified to be a pastor or a teacher apart from God, apart from relying on the Holy Spirit. And this is what James is trying to explain. And because he feels he has to explain that part of it, he continues. And again, he reintroduces that idea in chapter 1 of bridling something. Remember in chapter 1, he talked about bridling the tongue. And he's going to expound on that. He's going to elaborate on that in this next section of the letter. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Is that true? Yes? All right. I've got, I've got a horseback riding expert here. And she says that's true. And it is. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. I don't know if anybody saw Titanic, but if, if you've ever seen pictures of Titanic, this is a massive ship, over 900 feet long, I don't remember how many stories high, but just this huge ship. And then if you look at the rudder, how could this rudder even steer the ship? It's so small. But it does. And what James says here then is that our tongues, though they are small members, yet they boast of great things. The tongue is one of the smallest organs in our body. And yet James is saying that that one thing steers our whole being, our whole body. But then he starts talking about what the tongue actually is. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And think about that analogy for a second. We see reports of wildfires all the time. How do they start? They start with just a little spark. Somebody flicks a cigarette or a cigar out the window and it lands on some dry leaves and all of a sudden thousands of acres are set ablaze almost instantaneously. And the fire spreads so quickly. And we are living in a world that is spiritually dead. 
We all know that the, the trees that burn the fastest are the ones that are dead or dying. They're the ones that are dry. They're the ones that have very little or no life in them. And what James is saying here is that your words, the things that you say, whether they're to people or about people, if you say the wrong things, you can burn down an entire life. You might even burn down an entire community with your words. He says the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, this is some dramatic imagery of what James is talking about here. The tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set on fire by hell. Have you ever thought about that? That the tongue is set on fire by hell. All of the things that we say that are hurtful, all of the things that we say that are spiteful, those things are coming from hell. Those things are coming from evil. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Our words can burn down the whole world if we are not careful how we choose them and how we use them. But James isn't done yet. Here comes the very worst part about the Christian and their unbridled tongues. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. A Christian who does not bridle his tongue, who does not control his speech, is a living contradiction. Just like trying to get fresh water from the ocean. It's impossible. It is a living contradiction. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. Some of you, got, some of you know this as talking out of both sides of your mouth. That's what my mother used to say. That was one of her many, 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 many sayings. Don't talk out of both sides of your mouth. And what she was saying is, don't claim to be one thing in, in front of some people and claim to be another thing in front of other people. We can't claim to love Jesus and then curse those who are made in the likeness of God. And those who are made in the likeness of God is everybody. And we've talked about this before. Every single human being that has ever lived and that will ever live is created in the image and likeness of God. There is no denying that. Now, they're not all children of God until they come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
but they are all made in the likeness of God. And so they are as important as we are. And James says we should not be cursing them while trying to bless or worship God. James is saying that we're not supposed to speak badly of people. We're not supposed to speak hate. And some of us, I know, we might say, I, I never had a bad word to say to anybody. We use one of my mother's other favorite sayings. If you can't say something nice, all right, everybody knows. You guys have learned that, right? Okay, good. Parents are doing a great job. <laughs> if you can't say something nice, I don't say anything at all. And we kind of say it almost sanctimoniously, right? I, if I don't have anything nice to say, I'm just not going to say anything to them. We may not have bad words to say to anybody. But how many bad words do we say about people? How often do we sit and curse people to our Christian friends and family? Oh, well, I don't curse people. Okay, how often do you gossip about people? How often do you talk behind people's backs while smiling to their face? How often do you belittle people? How often do you demean people? How often do you make fun of people? How often do you criticize people? This and hundreds of other things are ways that we curse people with our tongues. And that's what James is talking about. And you know, people say, you know what? It's human nature to do these things. We're supposed to be nice to people's faces, but it's okay to vent. How many of you like to vent? You don't have to raise your hands. See, look at that. <laughs> it's okay to vent. I can, tell, I can talk about people and, and they will never know about it. James says that's not how it ought to be. Because guess what? Yeah, it is. It's human nature. But as Christians, we're not supposed to be worried about human nature. We're supposed to be worrying about the nature of God and Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be worrying about not giving in to human nature, not giving in to temptation. These things ought not to be so. And James is using this whole discussion about our inability to control our tongues as an image of the whole human sin condition. And it's really just a continuation of what his brother Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus told people to understand this. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. He said this in front of all of the people that were following him, all of the people that were listening to him. And then later, his disciples, after they got Jesus alone, they looked at him and they were like, uh, what does that mean? Can you explain that to us? What are you talking about? And he went on to explain the idea. 
He said, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled? Goodbye, bacon. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. And he gets really specific. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. All of these things are the human sin condition. And the human sin condition is a heart condition. Everything that we do that is sin starts here in the heart. And then it proceeds either out of our mouths or out of our actions. This is what Jesus is talking about here. We are supposed to want to live lives that are undefiled. But how do we do that? How do we do that in, even just in James's conversation here? How do we keep ourselves unstained from the world, which is what James said we should do in chapter 1? Well, the prophet Isaiah was faced with this problem. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah had a vision of God sitting on his throne and surrounded by the seraphim. And the seraphim were singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And he could see God. And he said, God's voice made the foundations of the room shake. And he was frightened. And he said, woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah was frightened. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. Lips that have been defiled by words that have emanated from a sinner's heart. And now he's encountering God. And he is realizing how unworthy he is. I have unclean lips. The people that are around me have unclean lips. I shouldn't be here. But God was getting ready to send Isaiah on a mission. God was getting ready for Isaiah to go and start prophesying to the people of Israel, God's people. So he did something about Isaiah's unclean lips. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. How many of you have ever been burned? Anybody ever been burned on the lips? I can't imagine how painful that would be. God cauterized Isaiah's lips. He cleansed them with fire. And his lips became clean. And James says that no human being can tame the tongue, and he's right. 
Once again, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And that's what he showed Isaiah. I will make your lips clean so that you can speak my word. Our lips, our tongues, ultimately our hearts, we need the constant cleansing touch of the Holy Spirit's fire. We ought to be constantly praying for the Holy Spirit to cleanse our hearts and tame our tongues. And our prayers need to be specific. Father, I cursed so-and-so today by lying about them or by gossiping about them or slandering them or mocking them or any of the hundreds of ways that we can sin against somebody with our lips, with our tongue. And we need to ask forgiveness. And we need to ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse our hearts and to show us how to bridle our tongues. But that does not relieve us of the responsibility of bridling our tongues. We can ask the Holy Spirit for strength, and we should ask the Holy Spirit for strength. But unless we do something to bridle our tongues, that's just like faith without works is dead. We have to take action. We need to discipline ourselves to keep our tongues in check. We need to think before we talk. We need to stop gossiping. We need to stop making fun of people. We certainly need to stop saying, that person's going to hell and I really don't care. They deserve it. They are made in the likeness of God. Yes, they deserve to go to hell just as much as we do. And the only thing keeping us there is that we have come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have asked forgiveness for our sins. We have confessed with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And we are saved by God's grace. We are saved by his mercy. It is not anything that we've been able to do for ourselves. We need to resolve in our hearts to stop gossiping or to stop receiving gossip and that's a big one sometimes we say well i don't gossip but you know if people come up and tell me stuff i mean what am i going to do walk away run away tell them to stop talking they might not like you if you tell them to stop talking but that's what we're supposed to do stay away from those things Stay away from demeaning words. Stay away from boasting words. I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. And that's the thing about Christianing. It's not enough to just ask God for strength to keep our hearts and our tongues undefiled. God offers that strength, and he offers it in abundance. But if we don't take it, if we don't take that offer of strength, and use it to strengthen ourselves, then our prayer is useless. Our prayer is useless. God's not going to stop us from self-defilement. 
God's not going to magically touch you and make your tongue only say the things that he wants you to say. That's not how God works. God gives us free will, even as Christians. We need to take that strength. We need to do things differently. We must discipline ourselves. We must act with self-control. We read about self-control a lot in the Bible. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. Do you know what self-control means? Controlling your self. Pretty self-explanatory. Controlling yourself. And too often we say, well, we rely on God to keep us free from sin, but we don't actually take responsibility to keep ourselves from sinning. And that is not how things ought to be. That's what James says. Self-control is also central to our faith. Self-control is a good work. It's a fruit. And in this particular case, with the words that we say, it is thinking before we speak. It is not allowing anger or jealousy or greed or pride or anything else to control our hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we are going to let jealousy and greed and envy and pride live in our hearts, we are not going to tame our tongues. And in the process, we might burn down the very people that God wants to save. Pray for God to give you strength and then make your commitment to use that strength. Make a commitment to bridle your tongue, to watch your words. Just like every Christian should do. Just like I should do. I got to make that commitment too. Because it is so easy to slip into little gossip circles. We need to pray and we need to act. And next week, James is going to start explaining how we can act on this idea of bridling our tongues. And that action has to do with finding wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for the youth who prepared a wonderful meal for us. But even more than that, we thank you for their hearts of service, their hearts for each other, their love. Father, we ask that you bless them richly, that you will work through them to build your kingdom here, to build your kingdom in their schools, at their jobs if they have jobs. We thank you for them and we ask that you would give us the strength and the ability to support them in any and every way possible. Father, we ask your forgiveness for the words that we have said that have burned down lives, that have turned people away from you, 
instead of pointing them towards you. Father, we ask for the strength to bridle our tongues, to control our words. And Father, we know that we can only do that by filling our hearts with the Holy Spirit. So fill our hearts with the Holy Spirit, Lord. And let us take action to make our words your words. To make our words words that will point people to you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your gift of strength. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to encourage you. Don't just ask for God's strength. Use God's strength. Not just with your words, with your actions. I promise you God will bless the things that you do with his strength to bring people closer to him, to point people to him, to help them know who Jesus Christ is. And the Holy Spirit can lead them to him. God bless you this week.